You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Happy Father's Day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads and even all of our single parents. Moms, if you are a single mom, you got to carry a lot of responsibility in your family and your home, and so we honor you today too, single dads. So we just, we, we want to thank you for the investment into your family, fathers. And uh, so I'm looking forward to, I'm not, I'm lying to you, I'm not looking forward to this teaching. I'm just going to be honest with you. All week I've been stressed about it. And it's just going to be one of those days, right? Uh, so uh, uh, we've been in a series called You Asked For It, and you guys are just bringing the heat. I mean, you know, I, I'm going to just say this. After this series, you're not allowed to ask another question for a long time. Uh, it's been good because I can kind of see where, where we are as a church. This really gives me a good uh, barometer and, and a gauge to see where we are as a church. And uh, um, I, my whole goal through this series has been uh, that we gain revelation through our questions because questions... We can get answers, but we need revelation, right? I mean, that's what really opens us up. That's what really changes our life because revelation will lead to the transformation that God wants to work in our life. And uh, this is going to be a really tough one. So I'm just going to get into it. Um, It's going to be a heady message. So go to Genesis chapter 1. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back cabinets for you if you don't own one then that's our gift to you. You can take that. You can do some underlining. You can do some highlightings. If you got your Bible with you, you're going to want to highlight. You're going to want to underline, and you're going to want to go back and do some reading this week because um, I did a lot of hours of reading for you this week, so I'm going to wear you out this morning. That's the way it's going to happen. Genesis 1, before we get in, this, these are questions about creation, evolution, Big Bang, dinosaurs, the age of the earth, and then a question about creation. Why did God create a tree and put it in the garden that we couldn't eat from and that caused sin? And so uh, Genesis 1, before we get into this, let me just say a couple things. If you come at me and and ask a a theological question and you want to engage in a theological debate and ultimately want to have a challenging argument with me, I'm going to ask you two questions. And I'm going to ask you first, can you articulate to me how someone is saved? And what I'm looking to hear is, yes, we're saved by grace, through faith, only in Jesus Christ. There's no way I can earn it. There's no way I can work for it. And it's him who was crucified and resurrected that opens salvation to my life. Okay, so you can articulate that back to me. The next question I'm gonna ask you, can you articulate to me your salvation story? I'm not looking for I prayed a prayer one time or I always grew up in church. I wanna know you've had an experience with that resurrected Messiah. Because if you haven't, we're not gonna go down some of these bunny holes. And so just like that, we've gotta set a foundation for the conversation. What I've gotta do is set a foundation for this conversation this morning. We're going to look at what the Word of God says about these things, creation, evolution, dinosaurs, Big Bang, age of the earth, and all of this stuff. But what you've got to understand is where I'm coming from is I'm standing on this as the ultimate truth. This is God's Word. It is inspired. It was given by God for us to know His character. And when it speaks of science, it's true. When it speaks of history, it's true. It does not give us an exhaustive understanding of everything in science. But what we've got to understand is this book has been under attack since it was spoken by God. And this, 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 what is bound right here is the inspired word of God. 
I believe every word of it. Even on my Bible where it says genuine bonded leather, leather, I put my trust in that too. But this this is a collection. This is 66 books written over 1,500 years. Three different languages, three continents, 13 countries and 40 different authors. And yet through that span of time, language, location, and different broken, flawed men holding a pen in their hand, God has kept a consistent line throughout the entire word. And so when I come this morning to this conversation, I look at this as the authority of truth, and I reconcile there are things I don't fully understand in this, in this collection of books. There are things I don't fully understand about God. But what I'm learning about God and what I've experienced about God is God says, I'm not to be fully understood, I'm to be fully experienced. So my prayer for you this morning is as we go into this, that we can open up our our hearts, God opens your minds and your ears to fully experience him, not walk away with a lot of understanding. Because here's what I'll tell you, from hours and hours and hours of study, you will not get all of your questions answered in this message today. But what will happen, you're going to have a lot more questions. I walked out of my office one afternoon this week, and Heather looked at me. She said, you look like you've been hit by a truck. I said, yeah, that truck's called Google. (laughs) So here we go. Genesis chapter 1. You asked the question. I'm going to wear you out now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. What I love about this account of creation is there's a commentary to that in the gospel, the gospel of of John. In John chapter 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Among, and, and among us, the word became flesh and dwelt, and we've seen his glory, glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What we understand is that in the beginning, Jesus was there. Jesus is the word. Jesus was the word. He is the word. He was with the word. He was in the beginning. And so when we look at this creation account, in the beginning, all things are created by him, for him, and through him, Colossians 1 tells us. That Jesus was there. He spoke it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke it into existence. Someone asked the question, could, could God, God speaking creation be the same as the Big Bang? Could be. I mean, it could be like God spoke and bang, it happened. I mean, God's got a pretty booming voice, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm quite sure. I mean, my mother can have a good loud voice. I mean, I, I, she's had to come and tell us kids when we were little to clean our room in such a forceful way that the neighbor's kids were cleaning their room. God said, let there be light, and there was light. I'm going to work through some of the days, these days of creation. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. 
Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. He's creating the sun, the moon, and the stars in that moment. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And then in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's the creation account. Now, some, there's, there's, there's men that, that, that I've, I study, there's men that I respect, that, that love Jesus, that could articulate the first two questions, how is one saved and am I saved? And they differ on some timeline things for creation. One of the questions that we received is, you know, is it an old earth or a new earth? And let me just explain what that means. If you don't know what that means, just keep on loving Jesus and don't get caught up in the weeds. But young earth is the belief that, that God used this creation account in six 24-hour time blocks. So six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And their belief is the earth is approximately 6,000 years old. Old earth guys believe that instead of these days being 24-hour blocks of time, that they were geological time periods, and it could be thousands or millions of years in this, in, this, in this process. And they believe that the earth is millions of years old. Where do you land on that? I don't care. I'm here to talk about Jesus. But what it does is, is, is it brings in a lot of issues and questions because uh, people go, well, what about dinosaurs and what about millions of years of process? And so how does all that factor in? Does it discredit the word of God? Absolutely not, because when God speaks of creation, speaks of science, he's right. Do I believe that God created it and took millions of years? Maybe. Do I believe God created it and it took 24 hours? Maybe. I trust God that he can do what he, only he can do. And people start wondering, they, and, and so there's these, so my worm, people ask if wormholes exist. That was one of the questions. And wormholes are a theory, by the way, if you ask that question. But that theory is a, try, is a way to try to, through physics, explain mathematics of how gravity works in a black hole. Yeah, I went down that one this week. You know, the black hole I went down was this whole creation, evolution, all the dinosaurs, everything. I mean, I'm just like, oh my gosh. And it took me down. And the more I read, the more I had questions. And the more I had questions, the more I read. And it was just a spiral. And I was just going. I mean, I emerged hours later. I'm like, my head is spinning. 
And I, I was reading guys that are, that are scientists that, that don't believe in God. There were scientists that said, well, maybe there's a God. And there were scientists that said, there's absolutely a God. And they all disagreed. And some of them said, well, well evolution, the Christian guy said, evolution was, was thought up by science to explain their theories and it took millions of years to create this process. And then there's other scientists that don't even believe in God or don't even know that are saying, we don't even have a full understanding of the fossilization process. We've been finding fossils, and we don't know that necessarily it takes millions of years. It takes the right circumstances. One scientist said, it takes the right circumstances to make a fossil, and it could be that a global flood created the perfect circumstance for that to happen. This is a guy that doesn't acknowledge God at all. So here's what we come to through science and all of this. I don't know. I mean, could it be that in our finite ability and our finite processing, there are things we don't know? I mean, there was a brilliant scientist for NASA that said, I I cannot believe in God. I will not believe in God. There is no evidence to support God. And there was a man that asked him a question. They said, can I ask you just to think about something? Out of all the knowledge that exists in the universe, how much would you say you know? And the scientist said, well, I, I don't even have a way of speculating that. He said, well, do you know 50% of everything there is to know in all of the creation, all the universe, all the knowledge to be had? Could you say you know 50%? He goes, that's just ridiculous. There's no way any one human being can know that much. So the guy's proud of him. He goes, well, how much? He's like, 2%. And he said, I think I would be being very generous with myself if I said, I know 2% of all the knowledge there is to know in the universe. And the guy looked back at the scientist and said, well, can I ask you something? Could it be that in that 90% that you're professing you don't know that the creator exists and that you can learn about him and you can know his love for you? And the scientist said, I have to, as a scientist, I have to conclude that that's a fact. There are things that when we approach, we just don't know. I mean, we, we talk about evolution and there's this great debate about evolution and creation. I believe the word of God. See, see, for us to put our faith in Jesus for salvation, we believe in the virgin birth, which I can't scientifically explain to you. We believe that Jesus is fully God and he wrapped himself in flesh, which I can't scientifically explain to you. We believe that Jesus on the cross, when he gave his life, took the wrath of, sin, wrath of God against our sin and absorbed the payment and penalty for our sin. I can't scientifically explain that to you. We believe that Jesus was removed from the cross, completely dead, laid in a tomb, and three days later walked out fully Alive. Not spiritually alive, physically fully alive. I cannot physically, I cannot scientifically explain that to you, but we, we, we put our faith and our trust in that, it transforms our life, our eternity, and our hope. And so when with that same faith that I believe in a, a virgin-born, perfect Savior who is crucified and resurrected, I believe that in the beginning was God, and he spoke it, and it was so. And the idea of evolution is, is, is if you notice, God said he created them in their kinds. We've seen scientific evidence of adaptation within a kind, but we're not seeing a jumping from one kind to another. I mean, God says, hey, Matt, you act like a monkey sometimes. Well, you know what? I didn't come from a monkey. I'm better than that. I'm a dirtbag. <laughs> You're welcome, baby. 
because God formed the dust and he breathed his spirit, his life in it. And Adam emerged. And so how do we start to explain some of these things? Well, the Bible doesn't speak of dinosaurs. Well, no, it doesn't use the word dinosaur because the word dinosaur was made up in 1841 when a fossil was discovered and the guy said, that's a giant scary lizard. We're gonna call it a dinosaur. (laughs) But here's where, if you don't think the Bible gets into some stuff, you better buckle up and hang on, okay? Because in in verse 26, or verse 21 of Genesis 1 says this, so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. Now this word sea creatures only appears 21 times, creature 21 times in the Old Testament. A few times it, it is translated as serpent. The rest it is translated as a dragon and, or a, a, a beast, a monster. So we have something here that piques interest. Okay, well, wait. This word in Hebrew is tenion. And so tenion is translated as a dragon or monster, which means there's something, it is something different than the other livestock or beast or creeping things that God created. So that piques my interest, right? Because I'm like, well, okay, so maybe there is something here, God. So where are you taking me with this? He takes me to the oldest book in the, in the Bible. It's Job. If you have not read Job, you got to read Job, brother. I mean, Job is his oldest book, but it is, a, it is an incredibly, it's an incredibly intense book. The enemy, enemy makes a claim about God's servant Job, and he says, the only reason he loves you and trusts you so much is because you've given it so good to him. And God's like, no, 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 he will still trust me. And so the enemy comes in and puts Job through hell. He loses his kids. He loses livestock. He loses, I mean, his health. He said, you just can't kill Job. And Job is in the worst, miserable situation. I mean, he is scraping sores with broken pottery. He is sitting there trying to figure it out. And all through this book of Job, he's going, I just want to ask God what I did to offend him. I want to know what I did wrong. What is my fault that the God of the universe is doing this to me? And here's what I've learned. When you ask God some questions, he's going to ask you some questions. And you need to read Job just to get to chapter 38. Because in chapter 38, it says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? What he's saying is, Job, you stepping into the doorway of heaven and you don't even know what you're talking about. Dress for action like a man. If you read the footnote in your Bible, this is what it says, Gird up your loins. God's saying, put your big boy britches on because I'm bringing the heat, son. I mean, I can, I just, I mean, Job's, I didn't mean to ask anything. So God starts in on Job. And I love the character of our father because he has sarcasm. That's exact. Where do I get my sarcasm from? From my father. <laughs> this is what he says to Job. Hey, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely, Job, you know. I mean, think about God. Just, he's, he's, he's calling Job onto this, man. He says, he says, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, Job? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, where were you, Job? 
You must know. If you've got these questions to me, you must be able to give some wisdom to me. You must be able to explain to me. And so God is, he's, he's saying, dress like a man. Stand up, boy, because here it comes. It doesn't mean God didn't love Job. It didn't mean God was angry with Job. It means God is, he's, he's going to reveal some things to Job. He's not going to just answer a question. He's going to bring revelation. And he goes through 38, and then in 39, he speaks of these animals. He's like, Job, do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? I do. Do you, do you know how long they carry their kids? Do you, do, you, do you understand how the donkey moves around the wild donkey? Have you considered the ostrich? Can you, what about the ox? Do you see that? Do you do anything? I mean, he goes through all this list of animals. Hey, I pay attention to every single part of my creation, Job. I'm on it. I got it. But then in chapter 40, in verse 15, he hits an animal that throws me for a loop. He says, Behold, behemoth. Modern Bible scholars try to translate the word behemoth as a hippo or an elephant. And the word of God debunks that, trans, that, that, that interpretation because in verse 17, he says, he makes his tail stiff like a cedar. Now, cedars in the Old Testament weren't just small cedar trees that we got in South Texas or West Texas. They were trees that would be 100 feet tall. So God's like, all these animals, and he says, behold behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him where all the beasts, wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade, the lotus tree covers him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? What, what God is describing here is some type of animal that, that when you go back and look in Hebrew, could stand in the valley and eat on the mountain. I don't have context for something that large. I mean, I, we, we, we like to say, hey, that, that could be an elephant or a hippo, but, but the footnote says this. It says, a behemoth is a large animal, exact identity unknown. Could it be that in the unknown, there's things that, that God is trying to reveal to us? Then in chapter 41, I'm just gonna tell you, man, this is where it gets really weird. Can you draw out Leviathan? Modern scholars say Leviathan is a crocodile. No. Or an alligator. No. Scripture's gonna negate that. Leviathan says it's a large sea creature, exact identity unknown. Buckle up. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant you to make, with, uh, make him your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put a leash on him for your, your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide, up, uh, divide him up amongst merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? 
Can you lay your hands on him? Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of man is false. He's laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? If you're unwilling to go up against the Leviathan, who are you to stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs, God says, or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near to him with a, br- a bridle? Who can open the doors of his faith? face? Around his teeth is terror. His back of made, is made of rows of shields shut up so closely as a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. Here's where it gets even crazier. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. I'm going to stop there. So as I'm reading about these things, I, I, I just... Okay, there's, there's things that we don't know. I mean, what God is describing here, I mean, in my, in my office, I mean, I'm just going, oh my gosh. I mean, God, you're describing a fire-breathing dragon. <laughs> and it's crazy. Every culture has the lore of fire-breathing dragons, and we're going to slay the dragon. But I started thinking, okay, but is there any evidence of this? And scientists are finding fossils and just random people are finding fossils and they get to name them, but they're finding fossils where they have these tunnels in their skull and they don't understand what the purpose of this tunnel is for. And so they're asking the question, could that be a place where their body produces gas and all of this? And I'm like, okay, that's far-fetched. Come on now. That's fairy tale stuff. Is there anywhere that exists in nature this fire? Well, that wormhole took me to the bombardier beetle. Oh, yeah, have fun with that this afternoon. This beetle doesn't shoot fire out of its mouth. It shoots it out of its rear end. <laughs> some, of you, some of you are like, my husband does that, you know? <laughs> Happy Father's Day, baby. <laughs> wow. So this beetle produces an enzyme that under stress releases and it mixes together and it sends out this mixture that is hotter than boiling water. It's gas and it looks like a flame. And I'm watching this going, oh my goodness. There's so many things that I don't know. And I start to think, God, creation, there's so many things that I have to confess to you I don't know. It's what Job says. I gotta shut my mouth, God, because I don't know. And so we talk about all of these things, and those are out there, and you're like, okay, so I, how's my life going to get changed by that? But let's, let's bring it back into something in creation that we all question, and it's that tree. I mean, forget the dragons and leviathons, behemoth, and, and, and the sea creatures, but, but man, you know, why did God create a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why did he create that knowing that, when we, he, that we would eat it, that Adam and Eve would eat it? And it would cause sin, it would cause death, and God would get so upset to kick us out of the garden. Why would God do something like that? 
I mean, if God really created all of this, because here's what the enemy tries to do. He will try to distort creation to discredit the creator. Because he'll start getting us into these arguments about dinosaurs and the age of the earth and all of these things that at the end of the day, they're open-handed issues that don't matter. And he gets us to discredit all of creation because where it leads us is there's no way God could have created all this if he created that tree. And we start looking at that and going, well, that's ultimately the reason for where my life is now. The reason my marriage is in trouble is because of God. And you're like, well, that's a far leap, Matt. Let me, let me tell you the, the line the enemy takes, because remember, his tactic is this. Question God's word, plant doubts about God's word, and then replace his lies, replace God's truth with his lies. So it would be this because we all look for somebody to blame, right? When God shows up in the garden, and some people say, well, he shouldn't have put the tree there. Remember in chapter one of Genesis, in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image, that you have God the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit who exist perfectly together, said, let us make man in our image. God's image is love. God is love. God loves us, and because he first loved us, we can love others. So God is not a God who says, I'm gonna just create you as some drone to be able to, to, to not have a decision, not have a choice, and just follow blind obedience. God didn't want that. He wanted us in his image that have the capacity to love. He wanted us to love him not out of compulsion or responsibility, but out of choice. So God puts the tree there. If, if you notice, it says that we're gonna make man in our image, God says, and he makes him. He says, we're gonna give him dominion over all the earth. He created Adam to be a king because he is a king in our image, our nature, our culture. And in order for a king to rule over anything else, he must first rule over himself and exercise the self-control to not go after that fruit. The test of the tree was fair and just because Adam needed to show himself a king. Adam and Eve did not need anything from the fruit of the tree. They enjoyed all the freedom and provision and presence of God without anything from that fruit. Well, they didn't have freedom because they couldn't do that. Because somewhere in our minds, we think freedom is the, the opportunity and ability to do whatever we want. That's not freedom. That's abuse. With great freedom comes great restraint and responsibility. See, when we look at all of creation, we have to understand this. God is sovereign and man is responsible. We have choice to make. And so ultimately what happens is we look at this sin situation and we wanna blame God. God shows up, Adam, why did you eat the fruit? She made me do it. It's her fault. God looks at Eve. The serpent, it's his fault. And then the serpent starts to replace God's truth with a lie that says, if you wouldn't have put that here, none of this would have happened. That's how we make that line. God, the reason my marriage is this, it's your fault. God, my, my children that are getting sick and the reason kids die young, it's your fault. The reason I see so much hurt and pain in the world, it's your fault. You see where we've gone down this dark path 
and the enemy has us right where he wants us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna ask you some questions because questions beget questions. Just as Job asked God some questions and he said, stand up like a man. I've got some questions for you. I believe God has some questions for you to wrestle with. That ultimately, the first question is this, do I trust God? Do I trust God? Do I believe he is who he says he is? Do I believe that he is the creator, that he spoke this into existence? Do I trust his word? And am I willing to get and investigate his word and study his word so that when I have questions, I can go investigate them so that my trust builds? See, I trust him for my salvation. I trust him because, you know, I hear so many people, they put their trust in Jesus just as a, as a, as a way to, to escape hell. But if you're gonna trust Jesus to escape hell, you've gotta trust that Jesus is fully God that in him all the fullness of God's deity is pleased to dwell, that all things are created by him, through him, and for him, that I have to trust that in the beginning was God and he spoke it and it was so. And God speaks transformation into my life when I put my faith, my trust in Jesus and he says, and it is so. That's the surety that trust brings. I can't give you scientific explanations, but I can tell you what God has done in my life because I want to experience God and know that I can't understand everything about him. Do I trust him? Does his creation stir my affection for him? This is the big question I want us to wrestle with. This week, as I'm going cross-eyed, studying for this, researching, and I mean, I started, I mean, I was, I, there were articles I read that would bring these pictures up, and I look at these pictures and just like, oh my gosh, I mean, how, there's no way, that's not real, and they're like, this is the fossil, and I'm like, and so I'm just moving through all this information, and I just finally push back from my desk, and I say, you know what, God? I love you. And I am in awe of your creation. That when I see everything around, I mean, all of creation declares his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork, Psalm 19 says. When I go out at night and I look at the stars, I'm in awe, God, of your creation. When I see how the clouds move and that the, you set the sun on its course, that you created all these laws of physics, you created laws of gravity, laws of motion, that you created this and you sustain all of this, that life on earth is so balanced that you hold it in your hand and that you sustain our life, it leads me to awe and wonder, God. Even Job said to his friends that were trying to explain away God, well, here's why I believe that this was happening to you, Job. Job's like, hey, shush. He says, ask the beast and they will teach you. Ask the birds of the heavens and they'll tell you. The bushes of the earth, they'll teach you. The fish of the sea will declare to you. What he's saying that is all these things, the creation, God set this to declare his glory. That when I look at creation, it spurs my affection for the creator. And that's the challenge that we have. We have a choice. Do we worship creation or do we worship the creator? 
I mean, I've sat in some incredibly beautiful places on this planet. And when I sit there, it leads me to awe and go, God, you are amazing and incredible that your, your imagination and your creativity and your, your just ability to do all of this, it leads me to worship. It leads me to praise. And this awe-inspiring God who says, let us make man in our image. And then he says, they're going to fall. And in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word made his dwelling among us. And he walked a hill called Calvary, and he went to the cross to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin. And he was placed in the tomb, and he was raised on the third day. My salvation is not dependent. See, it's open-handed things. Open-handed things is this. We've got to approach those conversations with grace because ultimately we have to conclude we don't know. But I'm so grateful that my faith, my salvation is not dependent on the age of the earth. My salvation is not dependent on how kinds adapted within kinds. My salvation is not dependent on dinosaurs. My salvation is not dependent on whether or not God was right in planting a tree. My salvation is firmly planted in my hope as Jesus Christ is my Savior. By grace, through faith, not of my own hands, but a gift that my Father gave to me in my brokenness and restoration so that I, his creation, could look at my creator and say, you're wonderful. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you for your creation. We confess to you that we were not there when you created it, and there's so many things that we don't know. I thank you, God, for your complexity of creation. It leads me to want to learn more. But ultimately, God, where it leads me is a deeper appreciation of you and a deeper sense of worship because you are who you say you are. You did what you said you did and you'll do what you say you'll do. So we trust you. God, I ask you right now to lead us into revelation. God, for those questioning you or questioning things, give them the peace to know they're in a safe place. But I'm asking you to open their eyes to you. Open their hearts to you so that they respond to the revelation that you are God. You are creator. You are sustainer. You are savior. You are redeemer. You are Messiah. You are our everything. We praise you, we worship you, and we glorify you. We pray this all in your mighty, holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thecreekfw.com.